Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. So that's where we are. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? In other words, what does your Bible say? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, here's what they didn't want to hear. Jesus goes on and he says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. In Ephesians, Paul the apostle writes and he says, this is a profound mystery. And yet it's true. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Matthew 19, um, recording this situation, once Jesus comes back with that, here's what the disciples say. Well, Lord, if that's the way it is between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. In other other words, if I get into it and this is the only way out, I don't know. (laughs) Now, if you're headed for divorce, God help you. And a lot of things we need to talk about, and we won't get to it today. Doctor was addressing a large audience when he says, what we put into our stomachs will one day kill us. Soft drinks corrode your stomach lining. High fat diets can be disastrous. And most people don't realize the harm caused by the germs in our drinking water. But there is one thing that is the most dangerous of all, and most, if not all of us, have already eaten it or will eat it one day. Can anyone tell me, the doc says, what food causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it? And after several seconds of quiet, 75-year-old gentleman on the front row, and I'm going to tell you what he said, but I'm also going to put it up on the screen. Here's what he said, wedding cake. Now, what we're not going to get into today are the biblical options to get out of a marriage. Because if you're headed that direction, you're going to look for loopholes so that you can go through with the divorce and still be right with God. All right? And let me just say right quickly, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But we're not going to get into some of those things today. But it's such an important subject and a needed topic for the church because the divorce level in the church is equal and sometimes greater than the divorce level in the world. So that means something's wrong in the church. And God wants to change it. 
And so we won't cover it all today. And hopefully at the end of this service, it'll be like, I can't wait till next week. But some of us, it might be like, I'm never going back there again. The whole question of divorce was a hot topic in Jesus' day. It all centered around Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Let me read it. If a man marries a woman, it becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. Old King James is he finds some uncleanness in her. And then he writes her a certificate of, of divorce based on what he's found that's indecent or unclean. But then... Then the rabbis debated for years about, okay, what's, what covers under indecent or unclean? What, what things can, can I use to get a divorce? And there's where the whole debate went. And it landed in two overall schools of thought, one the school of Rabbi Hileel and the other the school of Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hileel was the more liberal thought. And he taught, and I'm not making this stuff up, You could divorce your wife for any number of reasons, including walking about with her hair down in public. We don't have time to get into the cultural reason for that, but ladies, in our culture, you're fine. (laughs) Speaking to men publicly on the street. Again, that's a cultural thing. Remember, the disciples were surprised to find Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Listen to this one carefully. Another one he allowed, Rabbi Halil, speaking disrespectfully of her husband's parents in his presence. Out of here. And here's another one. I'm not making it up. Spoiling the dinner. Especially if she did it more than once. Rabbi Akiba of the same school of thought added it also included a husband finding another woman who was more beautiful. Now, Rabbi Shammai was the conservative side, and they limited, he limited something indecent or unclean to actions of sexual misconduct. Now, both schools of thought readily accepted that adultery was a biblical ground for divorce. But Jesus brings them back to God's original plan. Permission by God for a divorce is not equal to God's approval of the divorce or of him saying, go ahead and get a divorce. Even infidelity in a marriage can be forgiven. God divorces Israel and then offers to take her back. A lot of stuff to talk about. We won't get to it all today. But in Malachi, the Lord says, I hate divorce. Doesn't say I hate the person divorced. I hate the divorcee. That's not what he's saying but he hates divorce because it was never his original plan. Divorce is never God's will. Never God's will. Divorce is never God's fault. The text, it was because of the hardness of your hearts. There's the problem. Hard heart, unfaithfulness, there's the problem. Hard heart, years of being treated harshly by a, by a harsh husband, and we do it naturally. We don't, nobody has to teach us to do it. We do it naturally. And now you're at the point, I don't love him anymore. That's, and that happens. And a hard heart does not happen overnight. We'll talk more about that before we're done. 
Divorce is always the result of man's hard heart. Always. Always. Now, the things we're going to talk about, and I want to say right now that the principle here uh, goes beyond marriage. So if you're sitting here going, why in the world I come today? I'm not married. You better listen. Because the principle applies to any relationships. And either the gospel is true and the gospel can reconcile any relationship that's been divided. Or the gospel is not true. But we're dealing with the subject of marriage. But the principle applies in any relationship. Any relationship. And I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. And over time, when the heart becomes hard, one of the, one of the most difficult and sometimes humanly impossible things to do is this. Get those two people talking honestly and openly. To get these two people in a room together to talk openly and honestly because one is saying, no, I'm done. The other is saying, no, I'm done. Or the other one's saying, I'm open, but the other one's over here saying, no, I'm one. They may be open, but I'm not. It's over. It's over. I thought I was going to end up divorced. This is where all the new people to the church go, what? 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 I was teaching when we were meeting across the street before we secured the Walmart property on um, Old Testament Genesis story of Jacob and his wives. Now, again, that's a cultural thing, but he ended up... um, he, he married, he thought he married Rachel. He fell head over her heels in love with Rachel. And yet he was deceived by Rachel's father, his uncle Laban. And he wakes up honeymoon morning and he realizes, this is, not, this is not the woman I thought I had. And he's married to Leah, her sister. Well, he works another seven years. He ends up getting Rachel, marrying Rachel. But here's what it says in Genesis chapter 29. And we'll talk more about it next weekend. But here's what it says. So he has two women in his lives, in his life, and it says, and Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And I was teaching on that a few years ago, and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. This is my story. This is my marriage story. And so what I'm going to do is turn it over for most of the time today to my wife and let her tell you her side of the story of my emotional attachment. It was a sexual thing. It wasn't an immoral thing, but it was a stronghold. It became a stronghold. And I believed that I could never be happy in marriage unless I had, and my stronghold wasn't Leah, the woman I was emotionally attached to for years and years and years, and she's married now and five kids and grandkids, so that ain't going to work out, is it? But I believed I'd missed God's will for my life, and I was so emotionally attached, and it became a stronghold, and her name was not Leah. It was Tammy. And ladies, just before I introduce my wife, I'm going to encourage you strongly to use self-control. And at points in the story where you want to get up and throw something at me, (laughs) please hold off until you've heard the whole story. And then if you want to do it, 
I'm leaving as soon as this service is over because I have a board meeting. My wonderful, beautiful, gracious, merciful, and everything else wife, Mrs. Wendy Hodges. afternoon. You know that song that Savannah sang, Pieces, doesn't it wreck you? It's such a piercing description of the love of Christ and the love that we need to have for one another. So as Danny mentioned the story of Jacob and Leah, if this Bible story had been written about Danny instead of Jacob, I think it could have gone something like this. Now, there were two women in Danny's life. One was named Wendy, and the other was named Tammy. Wendy had blue eyes, fair skin, and freckles. But Tammy was a bronze babe, lovely in form and beauty. She was just the type Danny admired. Danny and Tammy met his sophomore year of college and fell deeply in love. He wanted to spend the rest of his life with her and was certain she was God's choice for a wife. But alas, the relationship ended. Soon she married another man and Danny's heart was broken. So Danny toiled through years of college, convinced that he had missed God's will. Years later, he met Wendy and thought there might be a second chance. There was joy for a time, but Danny fought memories of lost love and shattered dreams. And after a four-year relationship and two broken engagements, Danny finally married Wendy. But in his heart, he loved Tammy more than Wendy. And four more years passed before Wendy ever knew that there was a Tammy. So it's interesting to look back and realize that I happened to have been introduced to Danny before he ever met Tammy. <laughs> I was 14 years old, I had just finished seventh grade, and my girlfriend Lala, whom I had grown up with in Christian school, said to me, hey, why don't you come with me to summer camp? Lala's brother-in-law was the youth pastor at the church where Danny grew up. And every summer, the church sponsored a youth camp. Now you have to realize that Danny and I are five and a half years apart in age. He had already finished his first year in Christian college and had come back to work as a counselor at the camp. Lila happened to be one of those really boy-crazy types when we were in school, and as always, she gave me the lowdown on all the good-looking boys and told me about every one of them she'd already met. And I'll never forget her saying to me and using these exact words, there's this one guy, Wendy, his name is Danny Hodges. He's such a doll baby, and even you'll think he's good-looking. Because, you see, she knew I usually disagreed with her descriptions. So the day before camp, we happened to be at her sister's house, and for some reason, Danny happened to be stopping by. And that time, when I looked around and saw him for the first time, I thought, whoa, baby. <laughs> for once, she was right. Back then, he had much more hair. He was very tanned, and that showed off his big white smile and those big brown eyes, and I thought, wow. However, I was more the reserved, demure type, and so I wasn't going to gawk, but I certainly did watch him through the corner of my eye all week at camp. He seemed really nice, and I thought one day he'd sure make some girl happy, but I never dreamed at the time that it would be me. After all, he was a big college man, and I was nothing but a peon middle schooler. So the next summer, I went back to camp with my friend, but Danny wasn't there as a counselor. However, he did return with a friend to host a magic show at the camp one evening, and I was so excited to even get to see him again. My heart went pitter-patter as I admired him up there on the stage doing his magic. 
But that was it, and he was out of sight for the next few years. So during that time, I graduated a year early from my little Christian school, and I headed off to join my brother at Liberty Baptist College, which soon became Liberty University. And in the middle of my first year, I was in the cafeteria one day with my two good friends, and it was really crowded in there. We were looking for a place to sit down for three of us, and so we found the one open spot, and as I pulled out a chair, lo and behold, there sat Danny directly across the table from me, and I nearly dropped my tray. Danny? (laughs) I said in disbelief. Danny Hodges? And he just smiled and nodded, and I knew he wouldn't remember me. We'd only been introduced briefly that one time. I was trying to be polite, and so I said, I know you don't remember me, but we met several years ago at Christian camp um, with some friends at Camp Living Water. And thankfully, Danny let me know he had already met some other students on campus who had also attended the same camp, so I felt like that at least validated my story. And I was glad to know that he didn't think I was just trying to hit on him. So we talked for a while about what had been going on in our lives, and Danny explained to me that he had left college for a year to pursue a ministry with his good friend, but decided to come back and finish his degree. So that's how we ended up at college at the same time. And after that encounter, we only passed each other occasionally on campus, but whenever we did, you know, we'd always stop and say hello or wave, but, you know, we never had any conversations. But one year later, after he had already, already completed his studies, I saw him again. He was still living in Lynchburg, Virginia, where we attended college. He was working there, and I was there over Christmas break with my friend, and I bumped into him at one of the basketball games on our college campus. And we just, you know, turned around, we chatted, we talked for a little bit, and that was it. And a couple weeks later, when I returned back from my next semester of college, I received a phone call. Now, this was back in the day before cell phones when we had one payphone on our entire college dorm floor. So I got a knock at my door, and, hey, you got a phone call, Wendy. And I was so shocked that it was Danny, and he was calling to ask me out on a date. (laughs) So the big night arrived, and it was our very first date, and that was when I discovered how forgetful he was, (laughs) and still is. (laughs) We were on our way to the restaurant when he suddenly said, oh, man, I forgot. I said, well, what'd you forget? And he said, oh, nothing. But he turned around and went back to his apartment where he was living with his roommate, and he ran inside to get whatever it was he forgot. And it wasn't until later that I discovered he went back to get his buy one, get one free coupon. (laughs) Now, in case you think he was being cheap, I want to explain something in his defense that the poor guy had to work three jobs to put himself through his last semester or his last year of college. (laughs) So he had to cut every possible corner. So we had a wonderful dinner that night, and we talked very casually and very uh, naturally and told each other what was going on in our lives. And I have to admit that I fell very hard from the beginning. I thought that of all the things that I could possibly want in a future husband, Danny was it. I thought he was really nice looking. He wants me to tell you that he was really hot. (laughs) And of course I thought he was. Um, He was very athletic, he, he was humorous, he had a great sense of humor and many other things. But the most important quality that I noticed even back at camp was that he was a genuinely godly guy. 
And I could see that he was spiritually minded and that he had his heart set on going into some type of full-time Christian service, but he didn't know what that would be at the time. So that began a four-year relationship. And when we were still going out several months later, I was very surprised to hear Danny just out of the blue start talking about marriage one day. He just sprung it on me and said, so if we were to get married someday, when would you want to do that? Literally, that's how abrupt it was. Well, I still had a year and a half of college to finish, and I didn't know exactly when or how this would happen, but I said to him, I don't know, but, you know, I'm not in any hurry. I'd really like to finish college first. Well, a few weeks later, I came back to my room after class, and my roommate was there, and she had several dresses hanging up by my closet, and she said, look, I don't know what's going on, but Danny called. He wants you to get dressed up, and he's going to take you to dinner somewhere, and, oh, he's going to be here in a half hour. So I panicked, I threw myself together, got my hair tied up, got ready because he was already on his way. And that night, Danny took me to a really nice dinner theater that was an hour's drive away in the town of Roanoke, Virginia. It was up in the mountains. And little did I know that he was planning to propose to me that night. And what's funny is that Danny didn't even know that the name of the play that night was I Do, I Do. It was a play about marriage. So before the play started and they had to clear the floor for the dinner, the MC came out and he began to greet everyone and he was welcoming everybody and announcing birthdays and so forth. And those of us in the crowd were, you know, clapping and congratulating people. When all of a sudden he said, and I understand there's a couple here tonight that just got engaged. Why don't we congratulate them too? So I'm looking around for the couple. And I look across the table, and all, there's Danny. He's reaching in his pocket, all nervous, trying to pull something out of his pocket. And he fumbles with this little box, and he finally opens it and puts it across the table at me. And I didn't know, but it turns out the MC evidently had messed up the plan. They were only supposed to bring me out a little cake, and then Danny was going to propose privately. So he must have been frustrated that the plan wasn't going exactly as he intended. And then all these little ladies that were sitting around me were coming over and looking over my shoulder. Oh, honey, let me see your ring. But in all that confusion, he never asked me to marry him. (laughs) He just gave me the ring. He forgot. So on the drive back to Lynchburg, this is in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and We stopped off at one of those beautiful lookout points and could see, you know, the twinkling lights out in the distance. And um, so that's when I I decided to gently prod. And I said, is there something you wanted to say to me? Is Is there a question that you wanted to ask? And he seemed totally perplexed. He had no idea what I meant until I finally mentioned to him that he had given me the ring, but he never popped the big question. So, totally embarrassed, he suddenly got down on one knee and he took my hand and he properly proposed and asked me to marry him. And then I eagerly said, yes! (laughs) And it was a wonderful and unforgettable night. But this is where the story takes a turn and the sad part begins. It didn't take long before I realized that Danny had cold feet. I wasn't sure what was causing it. As the weeks went by, he started telling me that he just was feeling really unsure. He was nervous and uncertain whether we should get married. And I knew already that he had come from a divorced family, and I thought maybe that was his hesitation. 
So again, I said to him, look, there is no pressure for me. I still want to finish college first. I'm not in any hurry. I mean, we don't have to be engaged. But his uncertainty continued, so eventually I broke it off and gave him the ring back. So we didn't see each other for a few months, and then we ended up getting back together after the new year because all that had occurred over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. So we got back together, and by spring we were reengaged, and we began planning to get married when I would finish school in December. So in August of that year, Danny moved down here to St. Petersburg to become part of this brand-new little church called Calvary Chapel, and the fellowship had actually been started by one of his college friends. So our plans were for Danny to get settled in Florida, and then we would get married and move down, and I would move down to December after, in, in December after our wedding. At the time, as I said, Danny had worked for the airline, and he was able to transfer his job down here. And only a month after he moved down, he had to come back to Lynchburg because one of his good friends was getting married, and he was in the wedding. So I remember when he got off the plane, I knew right away that something was wrong. I could see it in his face. He seemed neither happy nor excited to see me. So we made it through a very rushed weekend with a rehearsal, a rehearsal dinner, a wedding, a wedding reception, and then we had to make a one-hour drive back to Roanoke so that he could fly home from that airport. And we were in the car when I finally mustered the courage to ask, what is it? What's wrong? And with a stone-cold expression, I could remember seeing his hands, both hands just gripped to the steering wheel, staring out the window. And he said, I'm scared to death. He meant it. And unfortunately, for the rest of my last semester of college, it was the same song, verse 2, all over again. So to make a long story short, because he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do, I gave the ring back again. <laughs> I had my wedding gown. My bridesmaids had their dresses. We were in the throes of wedding plans. But his fears remained, and so just before Thanksgiving, I called off the wedding and sent the ring back. I graduated, I decided I need to move on with my life, but Danny still didn't know what he wanted. So what followed was an on-and-off, long-distance relationship that lasted for more than two years. It was during that period of time that Danny very unexpectedly became the pastor of Calvary Chapel. Finally, he just showed up one day at my apartment in Virginia and proposed again. And you have to understand that by this time, I wasn't overly excited. I mean, I wanted to be, but I doubtfully asked, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure this time? So he assured and convinced me that he was. But over the next couple of months, of course, it wasn't long before he again admitted that he felt scared. But my heart couldn't take another rejection, and basically I gave him the ultimatum. <laughs> if you back out this time, if you change your mind again, you will never get another chance. And I literally said to him, Three strikes and you're out. I cannot go through this again. And I meant it, and he knew it. So we continued on. Things got a little better. Scared or not, we went through with our plans. And we were married on July 26, 1986, and it was a very lovely evening wedding. But tragically, my mother had been ill for quite a while, and one week before we were married, she was diagnosed with leukemia, and five days later, she died. Now, fortunately for me, and what made all the difference in the world is that my mother was a, a firm believer. She was a strong believer, and so that made all the difference in how I grieved through that process because I knew she was with the Lord.
And then I had the advantage of even though there was this great loss in my life, I was gaining a husband and a whole new relationship. So our married life actually started out pretty good for us. Danny and I were already great friends. I moved down to Florida and finally became a part of Calvary Chapel. But it didn't take long before I began to notice that Danny seemed a little distant. He acted somewhat cool and withdrawn. And to spare you all the details, let's just say I was Leah, and I felt like the unloved wife. We didn't argue. It wasn't that we didn't get along, but we were more like good roommates than newlyweds. I knew in my heart that something was very wrong. Danny began to go through different stages of depression. He would sometimes come home and just shut down. And I would try to talk to him and ask him what was wrong. And he would just say, I don't know. And we would go through this whole scenario routinely off and on for the next couple of years. And I distinctly remember one night in bed staring out the window and thinking about a familiar phrase that my mother, my Virginian mother, often used. You made your bed and you're going to lay in it. And there I was, laying in my bed, and honestly thinking to myself that after only months of being married, this is what you wanted, this is what you longed for, this is what you prayed for, this is what you waited for, and this is what you got. And I distinctly remembered at that moment feeling as if the prison doors had slammed shut, as if I could hear the sound, boom. And I felt suddenly trapped in this marriage with a man who liked me a lot, but really wasn't in love with me. And there I was, the pastor's wife, thinking, who am I going to tell? Who can I possibly talk to? And you can imagine, too, what this must have been like for Danny, because at the time, we were having many weddings in our small little church and he was doing lots of marriage counseling and performing lots of weddings, and yet all the while he had this internal struggle. And I knew that very night that I had a choice to make. And thank the Lord, I had been raised in a very strong Christian family. I had been taught the word from childhood. I understood the responsibilities of a wife. I knew that to whom much is given, much would be required. And I knew I had no excuse I knew that I could not stand before God and one day say to him, well, my husband was a jerk. <laughs> that was unacceptable. I knew that no matter what my husband did or how he treated me, I would have to stand before the Lord and give an account for my responsibility as a godly wife or not. So I was determined that with the help of God, I would persevere through this marriage and pray for change even if change never occurred. I knew I had to trust God, and I had to trust and believe that he was faithful. And I also knew that Danny was committed to the Lord, and I sensed that he was always under conviction about our situation. And one of the ways he tried to express this commitment to me at times was by occasionally bringing up this particular proverb. He would say to me, I'll never forget this proverb. Fulfill your vows even when it hurts. Fulfill your vows even when it hurts. <laughs> and I'm sure you know what I was thinking. Oh, great. I'm sorry I'm such a burden. Forgive me for being so difficult to love. And for years, I looked at that proverb, and I finally discovered it's not a proverb at all. It's in the Psalms. 
Psalm chapter 15, where David writes, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Only he whose way is blameless. And in verse 4, I finally found it. It says, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. So much to my surprise, things actually got a little better between us after that. Our situation actually began to change because Danny was committed and I was committed. We were dedicated to each other and to fulfilling our vows, even if it hurt. And I have to admit, though, that emotionally it was the hardest thing that I had ever been through in my life at that point. And you and I all know that if you keep things stuffed, they will eventually come to the surface. And what I didn't know was that Danny had kept a secret from me for many years. Of course, I had tried to get him to talk about whatever it was that was bothering him, and I made attempts to get it out of him, but I didn't want to push him so far that he would completely shut me off and not talk about it at all. I knew there was something he was withholding, but he would never tell me what it was. So you know our two different backgrounds. You've heard Danny's testimony. He was a wild party boy, drank, did drugs, all that. But I was Susie Sunshine, raised in a Christian family, Christian home, went to Christian school. I never got into any of those things, so we were complete opposites. But knowing his background, I was trying to prepare myself and, and, and imagine what could be the worst thing he hasn't told me. I thought, has he murdered someone? <laughs> has he fathered children that I don't know anything about? Is he gay? <laughs> I could quickly dismiss that one, but I, I was trying to figure out what, you know, any, consider any possibility as I tried to guess what is this deep, dark secret that he cannot tell me. So one night we went to bed to a very familiar scene. Like so many other nights over time, Danny began to cry. And he got up and he went out to the living room, but this time his crying turned to sobs. And I mean sobbing like I've never heard before. And I knew that he was becoming broken before the Lord. And I knew this must be the night. We'd already been married for four years, and I thought to myself, this is it. This is it. So I began to pray like mad. Oh, Lord Jesus, whatever it is that he's going to tell me, brace me now. Help me to accept whatever it is, no matter what. Help me to be understanding. Don't let me have a conniption right here on the spot. And I don't know how much time went by, but eventually he finally came back to room and came to bed. And once again, I mustered the courage to ask, are you going to tell me? Finally, he told me the story of Tammy, a girl I had never even heard of before. Oddly, I had known about other past girlfriends, and I even knew there was one girl that had really wanted to marry him. But Danny had never mentioned Tammy. I knew nothing about her. He told me about going to college the first year after he had gotten saved. He explained how he just all he wanted was to learn about the Lord and study the Bible. He wasn't even thinking about girls. He didn't even date any girls. But the second year, he met Tammy, and he fell deeply in love with her. And he was convinced that she was the one that God had for him to marry. But he explained to me that because he was so shy about expressing his feelings to her that the relationship eventually drifted apart and she broke it off. And actually within six months, he said she married another guy. And then he said to me, but I've never gotten over it. 
And as I lay there, part of me wanted to say to him, is that it? You mean to tell me that is what all this has been about all this time? Some chick dumped you 13 years ago and you're not over it? Well, get over it. I mean, that is how I was feeling on the inside, honestly. But he was so vulnerable and he'd finally opened up to me that I know I had to tread softly. And I said, well, you know, you may have been in love with you, but she obviously wasn't. You may have been in love with her, but she obviously wasn't really in love with you. And he, you just don't understand. But on the flip side, it's as if the, every piece of the puzzle finally came together in my mind. And I suddenly realized and actually became angry that Satan had used this emotional crutch in Danny's life to keep him in bondage, emotional bondage for 13 long years before we ever met, during the time we dated, in the first four years of our marriage. And it could have destroyed our marriage if it weren't for the intervention of the Lord. And that night was a new start for Danny. By confessing his secret feelings, he was able to break free of that emotional bondage that had gripped him for years because Satan had literally enslaved him with hidden thoughts for so long. But that night, we both began to experience the truth found in the book of James. Confess your faults that you may be healed. And that confession would begin to heal our relationship. It wasn't easy at all. And I had to deliberately choose to forgive and not allow myself to dwell on the past. But in the days that followed, I could immediately see this immense burden had been lifted from Danny. He gradually became a new husband as I was still slowly processing the truth and trying to trust him all over again. But there was still one thing yet to be revealed. Several weeks later, when things were actually much, much better between us, I stopped by Danny's office to get our checkbook. He wasn't there, and I looked in his briefcase where I knew that he kept it all the time. And when I reached for the checkbook, I noticed there was an envelope with the corner of a picture sticking out. And I just innocently grabbed it to take a look and discovered that there was an old Polaroid snapshot, this little head-to-head shot of Danny and this other girl that I'd never seen but could only guess must be Tammy. So I took the picture with the checkbook and I went home. Now you have to realize that I had become accustomed to seeing Danny from time to time walk through the door at the end of the day looking tired and worn out and then just collapse, shut down. Before he had confessed his secret to me, this was very typical. But that day, he came home with a spring in his step like Mr. Zippity-Doo-Dah. And the tables were turned, and now I was the one that was sullen and quiet. And he immediately knew something was wrong. And he said, what's the matter? What's wrong? So I calmly sat down in a chair, and I handed him the envelope, and I just said to him, you want to explain this? And I'll never forget, he plopped down on the sofa across from me and he threw his arms back on the couch and he said, I know I'm a child of God because he never lets me get by with anything. <laughs> and then he assured me that there was, he had told me everything, there was nothing to hide. He had just forgotten that he still had this one picture and he admitted that he had occasionally from time to time looked at it, but not very often, and he knew that he couldn't keep it, and he promised to destroy it, which, of course, he did right away. But you can understand that I just felt hurt all over again. But Danny's actions toward me began to rapidly change. He became more attentive, much more affectionate, much more loving, because he's a man who is very transparent and tends to wear his feelings on his sleeves. 
He's not the kind of man that can fake his emotions. So I knew the change was genuine, and soon I had the kind of husband that I had always longed for. <laughs> and I soon began to realize that he had truly fallen in love with me all over again, and he kept telling me so. So the marriage I thought I may never have because I thought I'd have to settle for something far less was now becoming a reality. And one year later, our first child, our son Tanner, was born. Yep. <laughs> so my encouragement to you is that if you've ever doubted that God can change your marriage, let me assure you that he can both resurrect and transform your marriage. He did it for us. God can truly work miracles. Yet I don't believe it would have been possible without our individual commitment first to the Lord and then to each other. And now, after 30 years of marriage and four children and now two grandchildren, hi, Jackson and Ruby, if you're out there. <laughs> Grandma loves you. <laughs> we can personally testify that when you're faithful to God, he will be faithful to heal and restore and bless a marriage that you thought was hopeless. And if he can do it for us, he can do it for you. So now I turn it back over to my hero and the love of my life. Now look, what I said earlier, I, I hope uh, and pray that most of us or all of us are thinking, I can't wait for the next thing next weekend. Uh, such an important topic, such an important, the, the divorce level in the church is, is equal and sometimes greater than the divorce level in the, in the world. And again, if you're divorced, it's not the unpardonable sin. Thank God for the cross. But what I want to say in closing, and we're not going to prolong it, it's 12, 13, I know what time it is. Um, uh, some of you have had a relationship that's broken and you think you've missed God's will for your life. That's not true. Satan is the father of lies, all right? I believed a lie for 13 years. I believed I could never be happy in marriage without Tammy. It was a lie. It was a believable lie. And I fed it. I fed it. It wasn't a sexual thing. It wasn't an immoral thing. It was an emotional thing, all right? It's a believable lie, but it's a lie. So, and some of us are in a situation too where you think I'm headed for divorce. You don't understand how bad my relationship with my wife or husband is. Don't give up. Don't give up. Humanly speaking, there's no hope, but the cross, either the cross is real and the gospel is powerful or what in the world are we doing? Okay? So don't give up. So when you get to a point in a relationship, and this is where the principle applies beyond marriage. When you get to a point in a relationship where there's no more emotion and you're shut down, you're closed to the other person, here's what I had to do, and here's what you'll have to do. The emotion is not going to take you where you need to go because there's no emotion there to do so. You have to do it by faith. By faith. And our whole story is in a little booklet. We're not trying to sell our stuff. We're just, if it'll help somebody, it's in the bookstore. It's called Learning to Love by Faith. And I stand here today, and as I learn to love my wife by faith, now 
I really love her. And she's the only one for me. And I'm telling you. And, and she knows that. She knows that. But it had to start by faith, recognizing the lie, saying, this is, that's a lie. That's a deception. All right? That's not the truth. And by faith. So even between now and next week, you're in a difficult situation. Sometimes maybe you feel like this is an impossible situation. Hey, nothing's impossible with Jesus. Amen. And you can begin today to begin to take steps by faith, not emotion, by faith. And Lord, it is my prayer that you'd help relationships in marriage, out of marriage, Lord, that by faith, the gospel can become true and practical and real and that healing can take place and reconciliation can take place. And, and Lord, uh, people headed for divorce, it can be turned around. So, Lord, this is just the beginning of you speaking to us on this subject. Continue to guide us next weekend and maybe even beyond. Go before us now in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace forever, and give you peace. Mm.